I would like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Genesis. We'll be in chapter 1, okay? So if you're using one of the Bibles we provide, it's page 1. All right? I didn't have to look that up this week. It's just so simple, right? Page 1, Genesis 1, first, first words of the Bible is where we're going to begin this morning. And uh, let me just say, wow, I, I, uh, it, was, it was such a, an enriching week um, just reflecting on how God moved over Easter weekend from Good Friday to the extravaganza and then Easter Sunday. Such a spirit of celebration and life, uh, celebrating who Christ is, what he did for us in his life, his death, and his death-defeating resurrection. And so I hope that the overflow of that uh, has been a reality for you this week. If you are new to Redemption Hill, uh, you are a very special guest, so thank you for coming to worship with us this morning. My name is Tanner Turley. I serve as our lead pastor. And uh, if you are new, we would love for you to take a moment to fill out the Connect card at the bottom of your worship guide. And uh, just let us know maybe how you found out about Redemption Hill. We'll follow up with you this week. And then also as a heads up, please stick around for next. Uh, so next is a free luncheon uh, at the end of the service that we just share a little bit about the mission and vision of Redemption Hill. You can get to know some other people in our church, some of our leadership, uh, but then also, um, just, just, you know, consider how God might work in your life to, to take you on uh, some next steps with us. We would love that. Uh, well, let me, let me just say this also. Thanks for um, maybe fighting the parking lot frenzy out there. Um, so, like, it's, it's, I almost feel bad because, you know, when we moved to Medford High just, just three weeks ago, uh, one of the things we were sharing is like, hey, you know, the parking is incredible, it's just the, you know, it's going to be a breeze, and then I'm pulling up this morning at 845, and I'm like, parking's not a breeze, I've got to park on the backside of the school, all right? Um, so thank you uh, for making your way in this morning, and uh, I am sure, I am sure that uh, you've already been encouraged, and you'll be encouraged from God's Word this morning. Well, uh, we're starting a brand new series. It's going to take us through uh, each of these next uh, few Sundays in the month of April that we're calling Work, all right, such a creative uh, series title, Work, uh, Overflowing on the Clock, all right? Um, and just, just did some fresh research this week, and I discovered now that the average American working full-time works 47 hours a week, all right? So, so if you just, if you do the math, all right, let's just suppose that maybe you're a college student, you're about to graduate, you've just entered the workplace, okay, and you're, and you're on this new journey of, you know, kind of the real world and, the, and working, um, that means over the next 40 years, if you hit the average, okay, just not, not supposing that you go above the average, like I know some of you are doing, by the way, uh, but if you just hit the average, then that means over the next 40 years, you will work 94,000 hours, 94,000 hours in your job. Now, listen, I, I know that 99% of you, absolutely love your job, all right? And so you're just kind of pumped up about that, right? Am, am, I, am I right? I mean, like 98% of you like wake up with an ache in your soul every morning. I cannot wait to get to work. Am, am I right? It's, yeah, absolutely. See, you're just gonna, you're gonna love this series. It's all about work. Um, I'm sure 97% of you uh, wish that that 47 could be elevated like 57 or 67, huh? And like, 
Anybody? Like, I like, dude, I don't even, I'm not that smart. I can't even do the math on that. Like, it's like, how many more hours would that be to the next 40 years of your life? Well, uh, listen, I want you to think about another number with me, okay? Another number. Not, not only will we spend 94,000 hours in our jobs, but think about the time we spend in here together every week. It's, it's, it's roughly 1.25 hours, okay, hour and a quarter. If you do the math, if you, it's just like, by the way, that 94,000 hours, that was giving you two weeks of vacation. So just, you know, be encouraged, two weeks of vacation. Uh, but but let's, just say, let's just say you took two, two Sundays, you just couldn't make it. You know, two Sundays, you couldn't make it. Um, you would spend in this hour and a quarter of worship 2,500 hours worshiping God together as a church family. All right, now, now here, here's the sticking point. This is, this is what I can get very passionate about, okay? Oftentimes, there is an incredible disconnect between the 25 hours we spend in here and the 94,000 hours we spend out there. It's kind of like, it's kind of like um, going into Wegmans in grocery store, okay? Seth, is my mic okay? We good? Okay, let me grab the wireless mic again. Hey, two weeks in a row, baby. Here we go. Hey, you can't keep a good preacher down, all right? We're going to bring it with the wireless mic. All right, we're going to get this. This is a new place. We're working out the King's Channel, whatever. All right, so here we go. All right, so a lot of times, listen, a lot of times Christians view their, their, their faith almost as if it's like you're going into Wegmans, all right? So, so Wegmans is a new grocery store. It's massive, all right? People, people love it. Um, and uh, so, so it's like, you know, you have the produce section. You know what I'm saying? You have the dairy section. You have the seafood section. Has anyone seen the octopus up in there? Wow. I mean, that's, you know, you, hey, if, you, if, you, if that's your choice of, you know, seafood, go, go for it. I've never, I, I, you have me over because I like to try new things, all right? So, so it's like, you know, it's like everything is compartmentalized, which is really great for Wegmans, right? Because you can just you can find everything very easily, okay? So that's great for a grocery store. That is not great when it comes to connecting these 2,500 hours with those 94,000 hours because, listen, because God wants us, as the, the people at the Center for Faith and Work in New York City say, he wants us to, listen to this, integrate the inseparable. Integrate the inseparable, okay? We, it's not, we're not to separate what God keeps together because if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus really rose from the dead and, and we are filled with him, okay, then we should expect that these 2,500 hours influence and inform those 94,000 hours. You hear that? God wants us to connect every hour of our work to his work, all right? 
It's, it's not like Jesus uh, over here and, you know, our work lives way over there. Okay, it's not Sundays, Jesus Day, you know, Monday through Friday, work days. No, it, he wants us to bring it all together. And so that's what, that's what this series is about. It's about understanding how God wants us to work in light of who he is in his work. And we're praying that we would actually overflow on the clock. Okay, so, so those of you that have been with us since the beginning of this year, some of you are brand new, so you need to hear this, okay? We're, the focus of our church this year, the thing that we're praying for the most, okay, is what? Come on, church. What? what? Thank you. Yes. Come on. The fullness of God in us, Seth, can I like hold it down here a little bit? And you just pump me up, thanks. All right. Um, the fullness of God in us overflowing through us, right? So, so if we're praying, if we're praying, God, fill us until we overflow with you, that necessarily is going to affect not just your family, not just your friendships, not just how you relate to your neighbors, not just the way you sip on coffee at Dunks or Mystic. Okay, it's going to affect your 9 to 5 or your 9 to 9 or your midnight to, to 8, whatever your shift is, it's going to affect every single hour. Okay? So we're going to dive into this, to this idea from the book of Genesis starting in chapter 1. And what you need to know about the beginning of the Bible is that if you understand the first three chapters of the Bible, then you are set up to understand the entire Bible, okay? Because the, the first three chapters set a trajectory for God's world and how he has made us in his world to relate to him and to relate to one another. And so this is, this is what we're going to see in Genesis chapter 1 as we begin to think about this first truth that we work because God works, all right? We work because God works. Let's look at verses uh, 1 through 5 of chapter 1. Here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said that the light was good. And God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. In the very beginning, the opening words of the Bible, we discover that God is a working God. In the beginning, God creates the world by his own will, meaning he wanted, to, he desired to create the world that, that, that we live in, okay? But he also uh, created it by the word of his powerful, his powerful word. He spoke things into existence, okay? It's called creation ex nihilo, right? Those are Latin words for out of nothing. Just blow your mind, right? Like we have to, we have to accept that and receive that by faith. That God spoke the world, made what is visible out of what is invisible, out of nothing. He just spoke it into existence. So God is a working God. In each of the, each of the days of creation, what we see is every single time it says 
God's creation was good. It is good. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. Six times. And then in verse 31, what we see, if you look down in chapter 1 of verse, in verse 31, it says this, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. I love this picture, right, that, that it's almost as if God takes a step back. And he looks out over all that he has made. He takes it all in. And he delights in what he has made. You see, God made the world out of his love. Okay, his love motivated him to create the world that, we, that he has made. Okay, and he created it. The goal is, the, the, the motivation was his love. The goal is his own glory. Okay, like to, to point to how great he is. And so God is a working God. We find the language of work at the beginning of chapter 2. Thus the heavens were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, it says, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he has done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Our God is a working God. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, he affirms this. When the Son of God becomes the Son of Man, he affirms this in John chapter 5. And he says, my Father is always at work, and I too am working. All right, so just think about what this means for your work lives, okay? Um, before you punch the clock... God already, God already punched the clock. In fact, because God is always at work, there's never a time when he punched out of work. This is just how amazing God is. Okay, like even on the seventh day, right? Check this out. This is a little theology for you. Okay, even on the seventh day, it's not like God was just chilling out. Okay? He, he rested from his works of creation, but even as soon as he rested from his work of creation, okay, God has forever been sustaining the world that he has made. He's doing it every single day. Very practically, the reason your heart is still beating right now is because God is sustaining your life. Amazing. So God is a working God. Uh, there's never a day that he takes off. God's names reflect his work. Uh, we see in the Old Testament these names, Jehovah, meaning Yahweh or Lord. Uh, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. God is in the business of providing. He's at work in providing for his people, his creation. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is my peace. God, if, if you need peace in life, cry out to God. God is the one who brings peace. His work is active in us receiving peace in life. Jehovah Rapha, God my healer. God is Savior, God is Redeemer, God is Shepherd, God is King, and God is our friend. All of, all of these works, all of these names point to how God is always at work. And now listen to this, okay? Understanding that God is a working God, this should simultaneously captivate us, okay, like should absolutely amaze us as we consider God's work, okay, but it should also humble us. 
It should captivate us and it should humble us. Listen to the words of David in Psalm 8. He just captures it so well. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? I mean, like, have you ever just gone out to an, a field, like maybe not in the middle of Boston, I'm not talking about Boston Common, but like you've gone out into the country and you've just looked up on a, on a dark night, maybe not a full moon, and you just gaze up at the stars? I'm telling you, you will feel small. Because God is a great God. His works are glorious. They're amazing. They should captivate us. And we should even think, God, if you made all of that, like, how are you, like, why would you even be mindful of someone as small as me? And yet, even though it makes us feel small, it also makes us feel significant. Why? Because God cares for us. He takes interest in us. He, there's never a moment, listen to this, maybe some of you need to hear this today. There's never a moment when God takes his eye off you. Wow. Wow, if you're not, listen, let me just preach a little bit. If you're not saying wow in your heart, then I'm just going to pray. God, may we just respond to your truth in a way that we're captivated, right? And feel free to talk back. I love it when you talk back. All right, so God is, God is at work, all right? And now let's back up to verse 27 of chapter 1 because there it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so what does this mean for us? Well, as those made in the image of God, let's be, let's be very clear. Every person, look around the room. I love our church, by the way. A church, I love you. Redemption Hill, I love you. All right, because you're an answer to prayer. You really are. Before we started this church, in 2011, we prayed that our church would be a thumbprint of our community, which means we would express the diversity across all spectrums. Socioeconomic, educational, generational, and oh yes, ethnic diversity. And so you look around the room and, and, and look at the kaleidoscope of God's beauty right here in this room. Now, now we know this, but, but let's just lean in, okay? Every person in this room and outside of this room, in our city, in our world, they have dignity and worth because they are made in the image of God. Oh, yeah, now, 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 we're, now we're talking. There we go. Now we're talking. That's why this week we celebrate and yet we mourn the, the, the death, the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., right? Because those, those, those sanitation workers who went on strike holding up a sign, I am a man. Yes, you are. Because you're made in the image of God. You have worth. You should be treated equal. Because you're made in the image of God. Let's carry on that legacy. Let's not assume, by the way, that just because we affirm those signs that we, you know, are all in on some of the signs that are being held up today. Think about that. Sometimes we just, we have blind spots. Let's not judge the generations of the past 
so quickly with, for some of their blind spots that we might have had if we had mo- walked a mile in their shoes. But we can do better. We are doing better because all people are made in the image of God. But then pertinent to our subject, okay, because God is a working God, as those made in his image, we are made to work, right? God, like if God made us in his image, he made us to actually put in work like he puts in work. And so the whole, the whole, like, we could spend, uh, we could do a whole sermon series on the image of God, okay? But just, just think about this, all right? Because we are made in the image of God, we have, human beings have the capacity, unlike any of other creatures, okay, uh, on earth, we have spiritual capacity, moral capacity, relational capacity, rational capacity, and creative capacity that, that is just incomparable to anything else in God's creation. And this is so important because it helps us understand that when God says what he says in verse 28, that we actually have the ability to get that done. So what does he say in verse 28? Here we go. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so let's just break that down, okay? The first words of verse 28, be fruitful and multiply. Everybody got that? Okay? We we good? That's like make beautiful lives. You know, like make, make more little people, all right? We're pretty good at that as a church. Just go to Redemption Kids, all right? You're going to see all kinds of little people, right? So God says, make beautiful lives. But then he goes beyond that, and he says, don't just make beautiful lives, but make life beautiful, all right? Make life beautiful. And that's a way of just kind of summarizing what he says when he says to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Now, what is, what is he talking about? That We need to break this down and understand it. When God says subdue the earth, okay, he is talking about taking the raw materials of the world around us, okay, and cultivating it and creating things from the raw materials that God has made to develop things that are true, beautiful, and good. All right, this is how we create culture. We create culture taking the raw materials of the things around us. This is how we do good work. We take the raw materials of the things around us, and we do something positive and constructive with these good things that God has made. Another way to think about it, as one person has said, um, it can also mean to tame something that is wild, to subdue it. So, like, just think about the, this, this idea, okay? If... If we were to all quit our jobs tomorrow, just, I mean, some of you are excited about that. I saw some eyebrows raised. Right, I did. I just saw. I'm not going to name names, but I saw some. I'm like, oh, that would be nice. All right, but, but let's not do that because if we did that, we would actually see the development of a wilderness in the midst of what was once cultivated, right? I mean, just think about that. Everyone quits their jobs. No one's taking care of one another. The, the, just the, the city becomes a, a, a dump, right? 
So, 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 so to subdue the earth is to, is to cultivate and to keep God's good creation. Then having dominion refers to reigning over or having re- responsibility for something. I like how one Hebrew scholar put it. It's actively participating with God to take his world somewhere. To, to actively participate with God in taking the world somewhere. So we subdue the earth. We have dominion over the earth. And then uh, we see the same sentiment in chapter 2 of verse 15 where it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Why? To work and to keep it. To do good work and to care for, to watch over God's good creation. And so again, this is what some have uh, referred to as the cultural mandate, okay, to like to create good culture, to develop good culture, to, to cultivate a good culture out of the world that God has made. So we work because God works. But then number two, all right, we were made to work, not for work, all right? We were made to work, not for work. Um, I hope you noticed, all right, that this is, this is all, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, this is all in the perfect world that God had made, all right? This is, this is all part of God's shalom, like how things ought to be, the way that we would want things to be, this was the reality in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, which means, okay, work is a part of God's good creation. It is not a necessary evil and a result of what scholars call the fall, a result of our sin. Okay, so I know sometimes we have the mindset, like, man, in a perfect world, I wouldn't be working. But that's not true. Because in the beginning, Man and woman were working, okay, and, and in the end, in the new heavens and the new earth, guess what? We're not just going to be laying around, okay, like looking at Jesus all day, okay? Like, no, we're going to be serving. We're going to be serving and we're going to be serving one another. So this is part of God's good creation. And, and just I want you to think about this, all right? Have you, ever, have you ever thought about, have you ever made the connection as to why at times when people aren't working, they they seem off, right? Like, like they, they feel like something is missing in their lives. They're discouraged. Perhaps they're even depressed. I've seen this. I've seen this in some of my own family members at times, or even when I'm discouraged in my work, all right? But, um, so, so, so why is that? It's because God made us to work, right? So, so just like, if, like, like a fish in water, like, like the fish is not complaining that, that they are restricted or confined to water, right? Because that is essential for their very life. It's where they belong. And the same is true for our work lives, okay? Just as a fish needs the restriction of water to find freedom, so we need to be engaged in meaningful work so that we will live out the fullness of our existence under the rule and reign of God. That's good. So we, 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 we live out this, this calling, of this longing that we have to find fullness in life. And one of those mechanisms is through our work lives. Now, but you and I both know, you and I both know that our work is not always particularly fulfilling. Our work is not always particularly 
rewarding. Our work is often, in fact, probably every single day, it's imperfect. And why is that? It's, it's because we live in an imperfect world as imperfect people. This is what the, the tragic story of Genesis 3 takes a nasty turn. And let me just summarize it for you. When, 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 when Eve listened to this serpent representing Satan, okay, uh, when, when Satan came in to tempt Adam and Eve, and he speaks to Eve, he starts to question God's instruction, right? Did God, let's just read it. In, in verse uh, 1, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And so, so he gets us to doubt God's instructions, but then, okay, so he twists God's words, but then he gets us to question God's goodness, so if you go on and you, you read, uh, you're, you're going to see um, in verse 4, he says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows and, and that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, let me translate that for you, okay? What Satan is saying to the woman is, God's holding out on you. He, he's getting them to question the goodness of God as if God hasn't given them everything else in the garden. Hello? Except for this one tree, the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so, tragically, Eve and then Adam, they choose their own wisdom. They reject the wisdom of God. And they partake of that tree. And from that moment, they began to experience the consequences and the weight of our sin and, yes, our rebellion against God. So that at the end of chapter 3, we see the ultimate consequence for our sin when it says in verse 24, God drove out the man, the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so this sin separated us from God. Thank you, Jesus, for Good Friday and Easter Sunday morning because he is our way back to God. If you haven't experienced that, experience that today in Christ. But not only did our sin separate us from God, but our sin introduced a broken world that doesn't function according to God's design and it brings frustration and discouragement and disappointment in our work as well. And so I want us to think about this from two angles, okay? And hopefully this gives you just a, a theological framework to understand. Not only are you made to work, okay, but, but there are going to be some challenges and frustrations on the job. We should just expect it. Like we should, it's not that we should enjoy it, it's not that we should be excited about it, but at minimum we should expect that things are going to be imperfect when we are on the clock. All right, so, so what about work in our fallen world? Okay, because, because the world we live in is broken, there are issues and problems around us that make our work less than enjoyable all the time. What, what are some of those? Um, well, work can become what we could call a drudgery. 
All right? Work can become a drudgery. What does that mean? It means all of the sudden, the job that we once enjoyed becomes a joyless duty. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just going to work, not because I want to go to work, but because I have to go to work because I want to get paid and be able to pay my bills. And so those are my motivations to go to work. I'm not going to work for the sake of work. I'm just going to work because I have to go to work. And so work can become a a joyless duty in our fallen world. Number two, work can be tainted by others. You know, you just, just, I mean, you know, there may be some specific people coming into your mind right now. I hope if you're not on the staff of Redemption Hill Church, all right, I'm in your mind right now. But let's just, you know, like there may be some specific people in your mind that your coworkers, your supervisor, your boss, um, because listen, we know that just as injustice is pervasive in our world, injustice is also pervasive in the workplace. And so we have these things like favoritism and nepotism and lazyism and work when the only the boss is lookingism. You know what I'm saying? Our work is often tainted by others, and then work can also become frustrating and meaningless. Listen, I, I know, I know, and I hope this series encourages you because I know there are some people that, listen, it is just absolutely miserable for you to get out of the bed and to go to work every single day. For, for maybe some of the, the, the reasons we just mentioned, okay, maybe you're not finding satisfaction and purpose in your work. Okay, maybe your work is super, super stressful. And it's just like, man, like at the end of the day, you can do nothing. Like you're trying to go home. You're trying to be energized for your, for your friends, your family, your kids. Okay, but you just like you feel so drained and so spent. Your work is not life-giving right now. It is life-taking. Four out of ten people, according to, the, to, to one uh, survey, said that they, their jobs are very or extremely stressful. Wow. Four out of ten people. So, so our work in this fallen world is often laced with, with disappointment, discouragement, frustration. But, but not only, not only because of what is going on around us, but also, listen, ultimately because of what is going on within us. We work in a fallen world as fallen people. We, we, we're, we're not perfect. And so how this can manifest itself is, number one, work can become idolatry. Right? So, so let me just break that down, right? Because you're thinking, like, what's an I? Like, so, so we start to value, we start to desire our work over our God. We take a good thing that God has made, like work, and we begin to make it an ultimate thing where we begin to say, hey, you know what? This, like, functionally, like, you wouldn't maybe say it in your mind and in your heart, but, like, functionally, you look at your life and what you're thinking about and what you're caring about and how you're, like, what you're making uh-oh, sacrifices for. It's your work. And so our work can slowly and sometimes subtly take the place of God where work is supreme or at minimum. Listen, at minimum, it becomes this inordinate desire where where we're really caring just a little too much about our work instead of cherishing the things of God and all of these other 
values that God has placed before us. And when work becomes an idol, work becomes our identity. Work becomes our identity. And so, 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 so then it's like what defines us is our work. I mean, just have you ever had someone ask you, like, how's your week going? How is your week? If, if every single time you reflexively talk about work, your work may be your identity. Now, now I'm not like, don't, don't get, like, too antsy. Like, it's not that, like, you can never answer about work. Work is, like, 94,000 hours, right? It's like, it's an important part of life. We shouldn't feel guilty if you ask me how my week's going. I start talking to you about Redemption Hill. But if I'm only answering about Redemption Hill and I'm not talking to you about Marsha and my kids, if I'm not talking to you about what's going on in the lives of my friends, if I'm not talking to you about like some like just fun experience that I had in life, okay, that is an issue. When work becomes our identity. We were not made for work. We were made to work. We were made for God. So as Augustine said, I don't know if I said it last week. It was in my notes if I didn't. But our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. This is what Augustine said. We, we have to find our rest in God and our satisfaction in God and our identity in God. And so we work because God works. We were made to work, not for work. But then finally, I don't want you to miss this because this is in Genesis 1 through 3, all right? We, we should work through the work of of Christ. We should work through the work of Christ. You see, a lot of people can read the first few chapters of Genesis, and they can assume that it ends on this ultra-tragic note, which it does, but they can miss the seed of redemption and the presence of the grace of God that is right there in the middle of our mess. And so how do we see that in Genesis chapter 3? Look at, look at verse 15. Actually, look at 14. It says, the, the Lord God showed up, and, and the serpent and the man and the woman are all before him. And he says to the serpent in, in verse 14 and then 15, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat, all the days of your life. But now don't miss verse 15. Look at this. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. All right, now don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Let me back up. When God says... I will put enmity, okay? I will put enmity between you and, and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, okay? Her offspring is, as we see from the rest of the Bible, Jesus, all right? And so what does God say is going to happen between the serpent and the offspring of the woman and all of this, the, 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 the serpent's descendants, okay, is, is this, that, that, that the serpent will bruise the heel of, of Jesus, okay? We see that on the cross. He died in our place. But even in his death, he is destroying the work of the serpent. Wow. 
And so the gospel, listen, the, the good news of our salvation is right here in Genesis 3. In the midst of the most tragic story in the Bible. And then, not only that, not only do we see our redemption in Christ, but we also see the grace of God in verse 21. Because even before God is, he's, he's just laid down these consequences of their sin to Adam and Eve. And he's about to kick them out of the garden. But before he does, he is gracious. God is gracious. And it says in verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. There is grace. There is grace for every single moment. We need the grace of Christ to give us new life, to see our world and our work through a new lens. And we need the grace of Christ to empower us, as we talked about last week. Like last week's sermon was not just for last week, okay? The, the power of the resurrection at work in us we now have that power for those 94,000 hours. But it's up to us. It's up to us. If we say our lives are in Christ, then we are to live in Christ. Every single moment, every single hour, even as we go about our jobs. And so listen, God wants to strengthen you. He wants to help you. He wants you to, to, to help you navigate the frustrations and the discouragements and the disappointments and the dissatisfaction. Listen, there is grace for these moments. But we have to reach out by faith and lay hold of what is ours in Christ. And so that's what I want to invite you to today. I want to invite Dan and the team to come up even as I pray. But, but would you, even as I pray, would you lean in and just ask God to help you see your work as he sees your work. And to navigate your work in a way that depends on his grace and, and lives in his power for every single hour that is ahead. God, we thank you. We thank you that we can, as Paul said in Colossians 1, we can struggle with all your energy that you powerfully work within us. And so, Father, I know that many in this room love their jobs, and I know that many in this room wish they had a different job. But, God, no matter where we are in our work, God, no matter how many hours are ahead of us this week to work, God, we pray that we would see our work and live out our faith in our work in such a way that displays who you are and shows the world that Jesus is better. And so God, would you empower us? Would you help us to live our lives for you even in the workplace? Help us to overflow, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.